I was telling my new brother, who I just met an hour before, who I connected with immediately. I said, "You go in first." And he goes, "No, bro, <laughs> you go in." And I walked in the front of the restaurant, and and my birth dad was facing away, sitting down, and he stood up, turned around, looked at me, and just put his arms out and gave me a big old hug and a kiss, and again, just an immediate connection. Wow. That was an amazing, amazing moment. Who am I? 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 This is Who Am I Really, a podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. I'm Damon Davis, and you're about to meet Dirk, who called me from Phoenix, Arizona. He was raised as a Hispanic person, and his documentation said he was Hispanic. But the world saw him differently, and DNA did too. Dirk found his birth mother, but at two separate times, he was forced to reckon with secondary rejection. Fortunately, he found his birth father, acceptance from all but one of his siblings, and the warm feeling inside from knowing he looks the most like their father out of all of his children. This is Dirk's journey. At three weeks old, Dirk was adopted in 1960 in Peoria, Illinois. He has an older brother, not biological to himself, also adopted, and it was thought he might be half Mexican. When Dirk was five years old, his mom got pregnant by surprise and gave birth to one of his sisters. Then, two years later, she had another girl, four kids in the family. When Dirk was adopted, his parents were hoping to bring home a girl. I always like to kind of joke around and say, well, they were out of stock. Because what they did is told my parents, well, we don't have any girls, but we've got this Hispanic boy that we think would go great with your other son. And so my, my parents went with that and uh, thought it'd be a good idea for two Hispanic boys to grow up together. But I knew very early on that I was different from everybody else in the family as far as looks. Mm-hmm. You know, me and my brother, you know, we would, we were both adopted. So that wasn't, you know, adoption was just kind of a word. But we'd say, now you're Spanish and I'm Mexican or I'm Mexican and you're Spanish. And that's kind of how we talked about it when we were, when we were little. But even preschool, even before I got into kindergarten, I was getting very dark and my hair was much more coarse. And so I looked very different. My brother looked like he was white. And the town we grew up in was a very small town outside of Peoria, Illinois. And no person of any color in that town. Mm-hmm. I was the only one, you know, all my grown up years. And we never really discussed race in my home, even though I know, you know, again, born in 1960, all this civil rights stuff was going on at the time, but we never talked about it at home. And I definitely grew up with that, the colorblind mentality. Mm -hmm. It was kind of a don't ask, don't tell. So we never talked about adoption much. We never talked about race or race differences. And I had a great family, but it was just something we didn't discuss. And And, and um, what's the racial makeup of your adopted parents and your siblings? They were all white even though my brother was supposedly was supposed to be part Mexican, but you know, he just looked white. 
and all the neighbors, I mean, everybody that we came in contact with was white. I mean, even my, you know, my mom would get asked at the grocery store when I was little, when I used to, you know, I'd ride in the cart with her or whatever, and she would get asked all the time, well, who is that little boy? Again, it was the 1960s, and a white couple in the Midwest in an all-white community with two brown boys stood out. They were pretty rare. As Dirk got older, he felt like he didn't look Hispanic. He knew something was up, but he couldn't get a but he couldn't put a finger on how he was different. Dirk's parents had the paperwork that documented that he was Spanish, but the facts weren't lining up in his experience. Whenever I would go outside of the neighborhood every once in a while, there would be you know situations that would happen. I'd be on my bike with a buddy of mine, and somebody would yell out the car, the N-word. You know, I'd get in a scuffle at school with somebody I knew, and when, and one time in particular, I got the better of some kid, and we must have been in second grade. But as soon as I let him up and he started walking away, you know, N-word comes flying out. So I, I had those, those kinds of occasions that came up. But by and large, for growing up in the 60s and 70s, I didn't have a lot of bad things happen. When, when race would come up occasionally, I would be more embarrassed. I wanted to more hide than... I, I didn't really feel hurt. It was more an embarrassing situation. I just wanted to kind of crawl in the corner and pretend I wasn't there. Yeah, um, I can imagine. Let me ask you, when but, you, you're, you're yeah. growing up with the notion that you are of some type of Hispanic Latinx descent, yet people are calling you the N-word, which, as far as I can tell, not too many Latino people are called. It's a mix exactly. of, you know... So the outside world is seeing you as something that you are not growing up thinking that you are, but you also don't actually know what your heritage is. How did exactly. it hit you when this racial epithet that doesn't actually apply to what you think you are is coming at you all the time? Yeah, it was just very, very hurt. And my parents were fantastic, but they didn't prepare me for anything. They just treated me like a little white kid like all my friends. And so, you know, I would be around my friends and I can remember being so excited at one point when I was, I don't know, seven or eight, that my friends were trying to make their hair curly, you know, and their, their hair was obviously, you know, blonde and straight. Mm -hmm. And I just remember being so excited that they're going to have curly hair like me. And uh, of course, you know, it didn't happen. Right. But I had, you know, just a lot of those kind of situations but I just never said anything to my parents. It it was looking back, you know, again, I didn't have a lot of bad things happen, but a lot of the identity stuff was really mixed up. Yeah. You know, what's fascinating about what you've said so far to me is, you know, a lot of times when we speak about interracial adoptions, the person who is adopted doesn't have racial mirrors in their family most of the time. And you've said that you were adopted into a family with white parents, white siblings in a white community, so you don't have racial mirrors, and right. you are told that you are of one descent when everybody else who sees you and hurls racial epithets at you is calling you yet another race. 
that must have been really, really, I don't know if you could even characterize it as unsettling, but like, it must have just been confusing, huh? It it was very confusing. I mean, it, you know, and as I got older, I I became, you know, somewhat of a decent athlete. And, you know, I was kind of hung out with the right crowd. Mm -hmm. So if somebody who, you know, so I had my safe people and my safe places, so to speak. And if someone kind of new came in and made some kind of racial comment behind my back, I had all those guys, you know, that had my back, you know, so that they were like, they were like fighting words. You know, mm-hmm. don't say that about him. Yeah. But it, it was, it was very confusing. There's just all kinds of memories that have popped up in the last couple of years that, you know, I, it's like looking in the mirror and you know what you see. You see somebody brown <laughs> or black, right. but mentally you're still white. You think of yourself as white because that's how you're treated. And, it, you know, it was just, yeah, it was confusing, I guess, is the best way to put it. It was, it was different. In high school, Dirk's crew was his athletic buddies, and they had his back when anyone tried to come with smart comments. But being buddies with the guys on sports teams is one thing trying to date young ladies in his all-white town back then was challenging. When you played sports in a small town, you were popular, but... I did have this one girlfriend, and that was the first time I heard, you know, so-and-so can't go out with you anymore because her dad found out, you Mm -hmm. know, that you're black. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, then the whole thing comes, well, but we told him that you weren't black and blah, 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 you know, and, and so that happened... A couple of times it happened in junior high and then in high school where there's I know this one uh, this one girl basically asked me out uh, for homecoming and then kind of came back and said her dad wouldn't let her and she didn't say why but I know why you know I know mm-hmm. why now yeah. so it, it made it a little difficult so I dated a little bit in high school but but not a lot, not till I got to college. Dirk attended University of Wisconsin in Oshkosh with a guy he had grown up with, and they were roommates. Dormitory life was Dirk's first time living around African-American people. There were a few black guys on his floor, and everyone got along great, but they didn't really know what to make of Dirk. Getting to know him, the black guys figured he was probably going to hang out with the white guys because they just didn't have much in common with him. On the outside, the world saw Dirk as a black man, but on the inside, he was uncertain of his cultural identity. But my whole cultural background was white, so it was very, very uncomfortable for me. And I felt, you know, like an imposter, let's, you know, for the most part, because I just didn't fit in. I didn't know the vernacular. I just, it it was very uncomfortable. And it, it, it took a while. That College was was difficult in that way. And again, by now it's it's you know it's late seventies, getting into the eighties, and um, you know, so there's still a lot of stuff going on, you know, politically and racially and so it was very uncomfortable and I only only dated white girls at that, you know, at that time. Mm-hmm. There was another girl on my floor at college who was mixed, half black, half white, and, and I just heard the story from someone else where you know, she was approached by, I, I forget which, which side, but she had to make a decision. They said, hey, you got to make a decision. Either you're going to be black or you're going to be white. 
Luckily, I, I was never approached like that, where I had to make that kind of a choice. Mm -hmm. But it was interesting, definitely. Yeah, that's really fascinating. I've never really heard that ultimatum proposition be posed at somebody before. But Yeah, I, it, it shook me as well, because <laughs> I've never heard that either. But that's how clicks sort of operate. It's, you know, either you're with us or against us kind of mentality. And yeah. It's it's interesting to hear that she was placed under that kind of pressure to pick an identity, which I would imagine was incredibly challenging for her because – so my wife is biracial. Her mother uh -huh. is white Canadian. Her dad is black from the Caribbean. And, you know, she – there's no – you can't check a box because you're in two places, right? right? And you can't help that. And so for somebody to come at you and confront you with, hey, check one of these boxes, either our box or their box, had had to be tough. And I'm sure I'm sure when you heard about her experience, you were like, man, I'm so glad that didn't happen to me. Yeah, God, I was definitely relieved. Even though he was trying to find himself racially, Dirk never really thought about searching for his biological family. He was told the adoption agency he was adopted from burned down, so he didn't think he had much hope of finding anyone. Side note, have you ever thought about how many adoptee stories you've heard where someone was told their adoption agency had a fire? Adoption agencies sure do burn down a lot, don't they? Anyway, Dirk met his wife, a Hispanic woman, in San Diego, and they moved back to Illinois. One day in church, a missionary was speaking, and Dirk felt the call to the mission field. The family decided they would go do missionary work in a Spanish-speaking country. Dirk realized if he was traveling to another country, it would be helpful if he had some medical information about himself. Since his adoption agency had burned down, he went to the courthouse to try to get some information. The court staff told Dirk his adoption was closed and he would have to ask the agency where he was adopted to give him some non-identifying information. And I said, oh, I, yeah, I, I can't. It, it burned down. And the woman said, no, it didn't. Wow. <laughs> she said, it's about a mile up the road. It's called the Florence Crittenden Center. And I was, I was shocked, mm -hmm. literally shocked. Wow. I got in my car, drove up the road a mile on the Florence Crittenden Center, and it was a secure building. And I just remember walking up and, and pressing the buzzer, and I just heard a voice saying, can we help you? And I didn't know what to say. I said, you know, I said my name, and, and I was adopted here 33 years ago. And I just heard, let's never forget that. No voice, just wow. and let me in. And I was talking to the top manager there, and he gave me my non-identifying information, which I didn't even know what that was an hour before that, and read that. And so that was the first time I'm 33 years old, and I, I see that I get kind of the script of, of some of the things that happened, that my, that my birth mom was white, and she was having an affair with my birth dad, who was already married and already had kids. And then it, even the, the narrative said that she, that he was going to get divorced. And, uh, but then when he, when he wouldn't, he said, well, I can't, I'm, I'm Catholic, so I can't get divorced, uh, that, that she was surprised at that. 
Oh. And, it, and it had said for his information that he had Spanish parents. And <laughs> so I thought, well, there it is. There's the Spanish part. I, I guess I am Spanish. After that, I, I just kind of set it aside. With the documented confirmation of Dirk's Spanish heritage, he moved on with his missionary work. He let everything go and just kind of felt like, at that time, he didn't really care much about the details of his life beyond what he had just confirmed. The family moved to Mexico, and he put the whole thing away until 2003, when his family was back in the States, living in Arizona. When Dirk got into his early 40s, he was feeling like he wanted to know who he was and where he came from. He got a confidential intermediary assigned to him, and she began the work of finding his birth mother. Within just a few weeks, she was calling Dirk to share some news. She said, I don't have good news for you. Your birth mom says she wants to keep the past in the past. And she said, and, and by the way, in all the years I've been doing this, I've never spoken to a birth mom that sounded less maternal <laughs> than your birth mom. Wow. And uh, yeah, yeah. So that, that was a tough pill to swallow because I, all these years, I'd never really thought about my birth dad. I just about my birth mom and so she said you know do you want to try finding your birth dad and I, I said no let's just forget it she's and she suggested I write her a letter on my birth mom so I, I wrote my birth mom a letter and just kind of gave her a, a rundown of my family and I said you know you know I've been successful professionally and, and so I'm not looking for money like I said told her about my kids and of course, I never got any response after mm. that. So I, again, I, I just let it go. Take me through this minute here, this moment where this confidential intermediary has said she wants to leave the past in the past. And that's got to be the least maternal person I've ever met in the years that I've been doing this. Like, what did you think of this woman as you thought about? I'm sure you had ideas about how this could go. And now you've found out yeah. that she's not interested in in your shared past and she's like the least maternal person this woman who's for all intents and purposes a relative expert has ever met what what went through your mind you know it it was tough it, it was tough but i i don't think i dealt with it to be honest i think i compartmentalized it i was talking with a friend at the time who's also adopted he lives in California and him and I, you know, spoke on the phone quite often. And he was adopted and he didn't really care to search for his birth family, but I kind of kept him in the loop with, with what was going on with me. And I just remember calling him and telling him the story. And he was, he was just like, wow. I mean, he didn't know what to say. And that's kind of how I felt. I, I just, I didn't know what to think. I didn't know what to say, you know, very disheartening after 40 plus years at that point. And you know, like you say, you kind of fantasize about how this conversation could go and what she's like and the millions of questions an adoptee has about their birth mother or their, their background. And to be shut down like that, it, it was difficult. But to be honest, I think I just tried to stop it <laughs> and, and move on. I think growing up in my, in my, my family where, you know, both my parents are from German backgrounds, not very emotional people. And so, you know, I'm sure some of that rubbed off on me. So I just said, well, 
all right, well, let's let's move on. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really deal with it, Damon, I don't think, yeah. to be honest. Interesting. Did you speak with your adopted brother about your attempt to find your natural mother at all? And, and did you tell him about what you, well, did or did not find? I never did. He and I never, never talk about it. I, I, in a way, I don't know why, and, and in a way, I, I know why. His personality is very different from mine. And I remember when, when I think I was 40, so he was probably 45, and he was, he was retiring from the Navy, and we were all in San Diego, and my parents were visiting. And my parents took me and my brother upstairs, and, and they offered to give us our adoption papers. And my brother was like, no, no, I, I'm good. And, and of course, so I said the same thing. And really at that point, I, I was good, even though I was probably a lot more curious than he was. But he, he was just one of the adoptees that he's never wanted to know. He's never looked into it. And so we never talk about it. In 2011, Dirk's younger sister contacted him to share that a new law was passed in Illinois, offering adoptees new access to their original birth certificate, or OBC. Dirk applied for his OBC, waited a few months, then it was sent to him in the mail. But a lot of the information was redacted with black marks, so he couldn't see his birth mother's name. Dirk could read the name of the town she was from, which was about 90 minutes from where he grew up in Peoria. As we adoptees do, he put on his investigative hat and started searching online for obituaries of his maternal side. See, when he was a child, Dirk found a document with his original name given to him at birth, so he knew what his last name was to search for. He found his maternal grandfather's obituary online, where Dirk read the man had two daughters, one of which had to be his birth mother. Holding his redacted birth certificate up to the light, There was no mistaking one of the daughter's names that Dirk saw in the obituary online was visible through the blacked-out redaction. He found out she lived in Texas, but there wasn't much else he could find about the woman beyond that. A few years later, in 2013, Dirk was on a business trip to the Midwest, so he stayed with his adoptive mom. Dirk's adoptive father had passed away. He decided to take a day, borrow his mom's car, and drive to the little town where his maternal connections originated. In that small community, Dirk drove to the graveyard to see where his grandparents were buried. Then, he stopped at the local high school, even though they were probably out for spring break. I drove up to the high school, and the parking lot was empty. So I thought, yeah, they're they're definitely on break. But I thought, I'm going to give it a shot anyway. So I walked up to the school. The door was unlocked. I walked in and I just kind of yelled out, "Hey, is anybody, anybody around here?" And, <laughs> Hello. and uh, I hear some some voice from around a corner, and it was uh, one of the janitors. And uh, he said, "Yeah, how can I help you?" And and I I said, "Well, do you guys by any chance have any old yearbooks from back like into the '50s?" And he goes, oh, "Yeah, I think we do." And and he he walked me back to the library, pointed to the books, and said, "Knock yourself out." and walked away. That was amazing. Yeah. And so the first, I think I, first one I tried was, I think it was 1955 and there she was. Really? And I was able, yeah. 
yeah, so I saw her picture and and I saw her sister's photos and the clubs they were in and and then subsequent yearbooks as well. I saw that she was very active. She was a leader. She was always the head of the president of this or, you know, vice president of that or it was very impressive. And I took, you know, got my phone out and took all kinds of pictures. And so that was a major connection for me. That was that was really cool. I finally, and when I saw her picture, that's my mom. Really? You saw yourself in her? Oh, totally. And, and as you know, as an adoptee, I mean, I, I think that's the, the biggest thing is seeing somebody that you look like is the most amazing thing in the world to me still. And when I saw that picture, it just was unbelievable. And yeah, like I said, that was about 2013. And then a year later, I took the ancestry DNA test and then I thought I can finally find out what, what I am and uh, came back and found out that yes, my birth mom was white mm -hmm. and my birth dad was black. So it's, it's what I had always suspected, but I never really thought it through. And so that, it, that took a, that took a while to process. Tell me about that processing, because it's interesting. As we've already said, you know, you've got people calling you racially charged names that suggest they think they see you as black. And, right. and but, you know, whether you fully believed it or not, you had identified with this Latinx Hispanic heritage. So to see that this black guy is your dad must have been a little bit weird like oh huh like you could feel it but it but now like all of the latin hispanic thing that i thought i might be able to try to identify with is like gone out the window you know what i mean yeah no it, it was it was a definite shock to the system because i you know my wife is hispanic her all of her family obviously and and, and living in mexico and learning the language and loving the food <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know all my life I've, I've i've been asked that what are you you know e even as much as less than six months ago somebody's asked me that and and since now that i know that i'm, I'm mixed black and white the people i've told it's it's i would say two-thirds said uh, that's what we thought and then about another third were like no i thought i really thought you were hispanic and so i'm still getting both, you know, and, you know, my wife thought she was marrying a Hispanic guy. So it, mm -hmm. it, it took a while for that all to sink in physically, culturally, mentally. That was a odd time. It, it's really hard to put into words how I processed it. It took me about a year to really start to deal and, and think about that. To be told you're one thing and I'm kind of a literal person and I saw it in black and white in my adoption paperwork and you know obviously coming to find out that I was a difficult to place child so I don't know if it was my birth mom or the Florence Crittenton folks or a combination of both that said okay well we need to make up a story so this kid gets adopted and, and then in retrospect finding out from my my mom my adopted mom that when they adopted my brother, they went, you know, house visits and all this paperwork and everything. And, and with me, it was like, she goes, I, I was really surprised. We didn't have to do anything. They just said, here he is. 
so yeah, I was kind of the hot potato, 1960. You know, what do you what do you do with this kid? Dirk started thinking about his birth father, a mystery man he hadn't identified. A few years later, in 2016, he got a first cousin match on ancestry DNA, then another, and another, and all from his paternal connections. One of the cousins started communicating with Dirk, and she decided they were going to find his birth father, and she made it her mission. Dirk was a little hesitant, concerned about messing up strangers' lives as a secret child who was about to return from his birth father's past. But Dirk's cousin said, no, you have a right to know who your birth father is, and she pressed on. She was fantastic. <laughs> so she kind of narrowed it down to three men who she thought would be my birth dad. And uh, she had me text over a photo of myself. And she, she texted back right away. And she said, you're, you're one of us. And then she spliced my photo with a photo of one of her uncles and sent it back to me. And she said, I, this might be your dad. And I looked at that and again, look, looked like him. Wow. And it was earth shattering for me. And then this cousin reached out to her cousin, who was the daughter of, of this man. And about a week later, I got a call out of the blue from a woman that said, you know, you might be my half brother. Wow. And, and we talked on the phone for about an hour. There was just an immediate connection. And so I said, well, hey, you know, we should find out about this, you know, for sure. At the time, Dirk's corporate office was in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and a few times a year, he would have to fly in for manager's meetings. He was flying into his paternal birth family's hometown. It was perfect. Dirk and his half-sister made dinner plans for when he was in town. The first half-sister brought her sister, Dirk's second sister. We're having dinner together, and they're, you know, they're just you know, giving me the eye, you know, across from the, the table, like, who is this guy, you know? Right. Yeah, and so it was a little tense at first. And I just remember getting up to go, go to the restroom and I, and I came back and then we, we kept talking. And next thing I knew they're leaning, the two women that might've been my sisters were leaning into each other's shoulders and just laughing. And I'm finally, I'm like, Hey, what's the deal? And the older sister said, you know, when you got up and walked away and now that, you know, we're talking to you, every move you make is our dad. Really? Yeah. They said, you look more like our dad than our brother. Wow. Yeah. And so that was an amazing evening. How did that hit you when you heard that? Almost tears. I mean, there was some Damon that that in a certain moment in that conversation, it dawned on me that these are my two sisters. I just knew there was at that point there was there was no doubt. It there was some kind real. of connection and feeling I had, and and I got a little choked up. And yeah, the whole rest of the night they just kept telling me how much I looked like him and and all my <laughs> mannerisms and. I remember walking back into the, you know, they dropped me off at my hotel and I was, I was walking into the hotel. It was just so funny that one sister said, what size shoes do you wear? And I told her and she said, just like daddy. Oh, wow. <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious. That is crazy. And, uh, 
do they and, uh, look more black than you do? Yes, they're they're darker skinned, and I, I'm, I guess, light light skinned mm-hmm. for a black person. Right. <laughs> dark for you know definitely dark for a white person. But, right, right. And, and my hair is kind of the in between hair, which mm-hmm. that's a whole other story too. My mom had no idea what to do with my hair growing up. <laughs> Yeah. I always tell people I, you know, some people have bad hair days. I had two bad hair decades. <laughs> so, so that's when I, you know, I bought a ancestry test for one of my sisters uh, so she could take that. So we could see if this was, you know, kind of s- sealed the deal. And she took that and sure enough came back. We knew we were all related, but we were going to just keep it with us because my birth dad had five kids and I knew of the two and they said, well, we, we're not going to tell the, my sisters, my new sisters said, we're not going to tell the other three. Well, that didn't last very long. <laughs> Word got out mm-hmm. and uh, they thought maybe the youngest sister and the brother might not like the situation, but it was just really the opposite. About six months later, I met my, my new brother and the youngest sister and my birth dad. We all met at a Mexican restaurant when I was there again for work. Wow. I still remember walking into that restaurant scared to death, almost shaking, because I know my, my birth dad is in there waiting. And I walked in, because I, I was like, I was telling my new brother, who I just met an hour before, who I connected with immediately, I said, you, you go in first. And he goes, no, bro, <laughs> you go in. And I walked in the front of the restaurant and, and my birth dad was facing away, sitting down. And he stood up, turned around, looked at me and just put his arms out and gave me a big old hug and a kiss. And again, just an immediate connection. That was an amazing, amazing moment. I I kept finding myself touching him. It it was just really weird. I just couldn't (laughs) stop. You know, just because I was like... I knew I was, this was my dad. This, this, he looks like me. He's built exactly like me. He, you know, he laughs like me. It, it was just the most amazing thing. And of course, all of my new siblings were just staring at us, you know? So that, that was, that was fantastic. Dirk is in a relationship now with his birth dad and three of the four sisters. The one sister just isn't ready yet. When I asked about her, Dirk said she's the one that's only five months apart from him in the birth order, and that probably has a lot to do with their disconnect. Dirk's birth father's wife and Dirk's birth mother were pregnant at the same time. But it was nice to hear that his birth father and the other siblings were receptive because the challenge for an adoptee is we didn't create the situation we find ourselves in when reunion happens like this. And Dirk and I agreed, if she took a moment to get to know him, his sister would realize he's a pretty decent dude. He said he texts with at least one of his siblings at least once a week. They call him Junior because he looks so much like their dad. Dirk told me he's done a deep dive into black history, adoption, and the exploration of the reality of his own new identity. Through listening to podcasts like Who Am I Really and digging into other resources for adoptees, Dirk learned about the services provided by Search Angels. He found a phenomenal guy named Dan, who found Dirk's birth mother and her phone number. 
I finally got up the courage and I called her this past Saturday. Wow. And the phone call lasted a minute. She acknowledged who she was and she acknowledged who I was that, you know, she knew who I was. And she just simply said, I made a very difficult decision back then in 1960. And I would appreciate it if, uh, if you don't reach out to me again. And then she hung up. So that was, again, that was, that was, that secondary rejection was really, really tough. And that's why I was talking to my, my sister just to tell her that story because it's just, it's been so different. My birth mom's side, you know, just no connection whatsoever. I don't think they want to have any idea who I am. Yeah. And my birth dad's side, you know, for the most part, has just embraced me like crazy. Yeah. That is so tough. I'm so sorry. That's, that's really hard. There's a small slice of solace in the fact that she acknowledged you, you know? Exactly. Exactly. It's small, you know. It's, it's small, but, it, you know, it's funny. I mean, I, I sat there kind of dumbfounded for about an hour after that phone call. And then I thought, you know, that does give me a, a little, little bit of closure because she actually, she didn't just hang up. She mm -hmm. actually acknowledged who I was, you know, and that's and that she was my birth mom, even though it was not good. <laughs> you know, she didn't want to have any discussion with me because I just said, I just have a few questions for you. And, you know, I told you her response, you know, mm -hmm. but it, it still is a little bit of, of closure for me. Yeah. You've heard so, a voice. You've been acknowledged. It sounds like while it wasn't the response you wanted, it also sounds like it wasn't a rude dismissal. It was, I would appreciate if you would not, which is very different, right? Like, yeah. That's... Yeah. yeah. She, she wasn't mean. Right. It was it, it's very measured. Yeah. Very disciplined kind of a tenor in her voice. So, <laughs> yeah. So clearly that happened less than a week ago. So I'm still trying to get my mind around that, but. Oh, I'm sure. It's definitely helps hearing out, you know, all the stories on your podcasts and, and other podcasts and just getting involved in this, in the adoption community has, has been phenomenal. I've, I've gotten involved with Adoptees Connect and mm -hmm. uh, it's really been neat getting to know other adoptees and just seeing how many similarities that we all share. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I was curious to hear Dirk's birth father's version of events. He told Dirk he met his birth mother at a club and they saw one another on and off for a while. His birth mother was in college. His birth father had a job and a young family. When she got pregnant, their relationship grinded to a halt. His family moved. She went to college in a different state. And Dirk's birth father was told his birth mother had lost the baby. I think my birth mom had said that she'd lost the baby to a mutual friend who relayed that to him. So when I did find him, he said I was a surprise, that he didn't know I existed, but he was always kind of curious. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. I, I often think about these stories of babies who were quote-unquote 
lost, you know, died in childbirth or, you know, whatever the awful scenario is that is portrayed as to how that child turned out, for lack of better words. And then this adult shows up who is that child. I mean, that's got to be so jarring for a a natural mother who is told that their child died, for a, a natural father who is told that the child was lost. I mean, this, you know, giant person walks in, looks exactly like him, and... Is that is that kid? I mean, it's it the same way that you were reaching out to touch him to make it real for yourself. He must have been kind of blown away too. Oh yeah, yeah, he was. I mean, he even mentioned that. I mean, we were just, you know, just sitting next to each other, and just it was just unbelievable for for both of us. And yeah. you know. He, I was speaking with him on the phone the other day and he's been having some health issues. He asked me what my blood type was. So I told him and he's, you know, he had the same blood type and he just started laughing. He goes, he goes, I'm you and you're me. And, uh, (laughs) it's just, those are fun, fun conversations for me. Yeah. Again, never having any kind of physical connection with, with anybody. And then now I've, I've, I've got this, you know, and even though, you know, I just turned 60 and he's, you know, like 82. We have, we have a great relationship, I, I would say. And we probably talk on the phone about twice, a couple times a month, probably every other week or so we talk on the phone. That's amazing. Wow. So yeah, that's, that's been, that's been really neat, but that must've been, yeah, very jarring for him as well. How did you share your journey at all with your adoptive mother and her natural children, your your siblings? Did you tell them about it? Was it a surprise when you were like, guess what I found? Tell me how that went. That was really difficult. And it's one thing that I've seen that other adoptees kind of deal with because you want to protect your adoptive family. I want to, you know, I just have this deep desire to protect my mom. And I knew, again, growing up, we never really talked much about it. But I knew that she would, she wouldn't be upset, but I know her. And I know deep down, she would be upset. So it took me a while to get the courage to tell her. I told my sister first, and my other siblings, which those were all hard conversations as well. But when I told my, my mom, yeah, I think, I think it was, it was difficult for her. So we've maybe brought it up maybe one other time since I told her. And I, and I think I told her maybe two years ago and she's 90 now, mm-hmm. 90 and doing great. <laughs> but awesome. it's, I, I just, I just want to be careful. I, uh, you know, I know kind of who she is and she's a, great mom i just love her to death and i just don't want to rock her world too much especially so not unnecessarily difficult right but yeah. it is amazing i think that you know i i love my new siblings but it doesn't take anything away from the siblings i grew up with you know you can have both there's there's no competition there right in my mind but it, it is it's a that's still kind of a tough one. 
I can imagine. It's hard for us to figure out how to in any way weave these two worlds together because they are very separate. You know? They are. These people are not friends. They don't need to know each other, honestly. The only thing that brings them together is you. And, yeah, <laughs> sometimes yeah, it's like... Yeah, and I've heard other adoptees yeah. talk about, you know, introducing their birth parents to their adoptive parents, and, and that just blows my mind. I, I could never entertain that thought. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how other adoptees feel, but I, I know I've talked to several that have done that, and I'm like, wow, that's bold. I mean, mm-hmm. that's... I'm sure it's healthy. <laughs> yeah, there's but a piece of it. I'm not it, there yet. Yeah, I, I can imagine. I can imagine. There's a piece of it, you know, I did it. But for me, it was different because I introduced my natural mother to my adoptive father. I didn't introduce mother to mother nor father to father, right? So you weren't right, bringing right. someone into face-to-face contact with another person who basically could have had their role, you know? And I don't think that they would necessarily articulate it as such, but it it feels like you're introducing almost two competitors, you know? Competitors yeah. for a space yeah. in your heart. And, you know, our hearts are big enough to let everybody in, but it's probably hard for them to conceptualize that, especially when you are biologically attached and descended from another person. That's an undisputable fact that links you right. together. That I can see how it is challenging for adoptive parents who have given their heart and soul into raising you and bringing you to be the person that you are with the influence that they had given you know what we now know is a lot of nature that's within us it's yeah. got to be tough yeah. you know to to see you know this other person that you look like you identify with it's 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 got to be challenging for yeah the, the whole nature nurture thing is just a fascinating topic because if you would have asked me 10 years ago i would have said you know nurture it's all about nurture and you ask me today and it's like wow so much nature in there that you can't describe or you can't even, you know, you can't put your finger on it, but the nature part of it is, is really strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So, yeah. Wow, Dirk, this is unreal. <laughs> I'm really sorry for how things went with your, with your natural mother. I, I hope that one day she'll want to know you, but I mean, it sounds like it's been years in between your outreach and... She sounds pretty steadfast in letting the past be the past, especially given probably how she felt about your dad and how things turned out. But the welcome yeah. you got at home with your dad's family is just unbelievable. And I'm so happy for you for that. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, that, that that part has definitely been fantastic. And, and uh, yeah, I look forward to, you know, the, the future mm-hmm. of hanging out with them and, you know, my brother and I took a trip together to New York, and that was a fan. We had just a great time. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. So yeah, cool. yeah, so it's all been very, very cool. So, 
yeah, just trying to process the good with the bad and, and yeah. keep going forward. I hear that. Very cool, man. Thanks for opening up to share your story. This has been amazing to hear. Thanks so much. Well, thank you, Damon. I, I love, love, love your show. Thank you. Do a great job. Thanks, man. I appreciate that very much, Dirk. You take care. Have a great evening, man. All the best. All right. All right. You too. Take Bye-bye. care. Bye-bye. Hey, it's me. Dirk's is a story of identity in my mind. There's the kid that grows up being told he's descendant of one culture, but feeling and hearing from the outside world that he might be something else. Part of our identity is the connection we hope to feel from our biological relatives. When his birth mother couldn't bring herself to speak with Dirk when he found her the first time, I was glad he gathered his courage to call her, hear her voice, and at least be acknowledged the second time. They may not have a relationship, but at least Dirk got some small measure of closure when she admitted 1960 was a tough year, acknowledging his identity in her life. It was, a, it was great to hear that Dirk's paternal connections are accepting, positive, and loving. I'm sure it's hard for his sister to reconcile Dirk's birth in close proximity to her own, but neither of the kids planned their sibling relationship. I hope she's able to reconcile with her father and with Dirk. His other paternal siblings have accepted the past, and if Dirk and his sister aren't able to come together, they're going to miss out on the great people one another are. I'm Damon Davis, and I hope you'll find something in Dirk's journey that inspires you, validates your feelings about wanting to search, or motivates you to have the strength along your journey to learn. Who am I, really? If you would like to share your adoption journey and your attempt to connect with your biological family, please visit whoamireallypodcast.com slash share. You can follow the show at facebook.com slash WAIReally or follow on Twitter at WAIReally. If the show is meaningful to you, you can support me with a contribution to keep it going on patreon.com slash WAIReally. Please subscribe to Who Am I Really on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. It would mean so much to me if you took a moment to leave a five-star rating there. Those ratings can help others to find the podcast too. And if you're interested, you can check out the story of my adoption journey, Who Am I Really, an adoptee memoir on Amazon.com, on Kindle, or as an audiobook on Audible. I hope you'll add my story to your reading list.